0: Uh, Jim didn't get to speak earlier, uh, as he usually does in the service, but I did invite him to share a testimony this morning. Many in our congregation in this past year or two years have experienced the death of a parent, and you often hear us in prayer for people as they grieve, as they cope, as they face uh, that challenge. And uh, Jim, we prayed for you uh, for a long time and for your mom. And uh, And so Jim has asked if he could share with you about his hope in the resurrection and what that means for him and for his family.
1: Thank you, Pastor John. Uh, Good morning. I'd like to share just a few thoughts about the resurrection of Christ and specifically, as Pastor John was saying, what that means in light of the death of my mom, who actually passed away, it'll be a year ago, next week. And my mom was really the, the classic example of the World War II generation. Both she and my dad were raised in strong Christian homes, and they also made sure that their family was raised in a strong Christian home. And um, I praise God for that, because it meant a lot to me and my foundation. But this was also a time in our country when most homes were Christian homes. And not to say that it made it easier, but it certainly meant one result was that we didn't really have to dig that deeply into our Christian faith. It was somewhat at the surface. And it really wasn't until later in both my mom and dad's lives that I really began to understand the true personal relationship that they did indeed have with Jesus. And for my mom specifically, it was more about the time that my dad passed away in the year 2000. I really saw her begin to mature and grow and seek after Christ in a new way. So it's interesting how... During times of adversity, that's when we find our best strength and our, you know, we go back to our foundation, what makes us, what our strength lies on, and that was certainly the case with my mom. My mom lived until the age of 90, and 89 of those years were great. She enjoyed good health, she was active, and she was able to live independently. Unfortunately, the last six months of her life, that was not the case. She suffered from a stroke, and she was confined to a nursing home. And in the nursing home, she unfortunately incurred quite a few different ailments just uh, her body was just breaking down. And at the same time, she lost much of her own personal dig- dignity. And that was a very difficult um, situation to watch. Um, during this time, my sister, who is my one and only sister, we were, of course, visiting her quite often. And her main, aunt, her main question to us was, why doesn't Jesus just take me? Why doesn't he just take me? And you know, that's a difficult response. But my sister and I, we tried to just reassure my mom that, you know, All in his good time, Jesus would take her, and that did indeed prove to be the case. But these were not easy days, needless to say. But one thing that I know did add um, perseverance to my spirit was the knowledge that my church family was praying for me. um, As we prayed for others today, the same prayer was going up at that time, and I just praise God for that. Suffering was a part of the end of my mother's life, and suffering in this world can seem like a mystery. But there was another who suffered even more than any of us will ever experience, and he suffered for us. And his suffering was not the end, but it was actually the beginning of a grand, glorious victory and resurrection, which we celebrate today. And just as I have knowledge of that resurrection, I also have knowledge of the resurrection of my mother. I know that her suffering also wasn't the end, because she had her foundation in Jesus Christ. She knew that she would rise with him, and today she is safe and sound in the arms of her Savior. And I rest assured, too, that all of us, I I pray that all of us share in the same reassurance of life. Um, During the months that my mother was in the nursing home in Florida, however, I was going down as often as I could, and when I would go down there, I would always stay at her home. And on the day she passed away, I was actually headed down to Florida but unfortunately, she passed away before I could make it. I, I got the phone call on the train on the way to the airport. But I went on down, and I got to her house where I'd been staying periodically for the past six months. And I go inside. I'm sitting in the living room. And for the very first time, I noticed on the coffee table there in her living room a handwritten note that my mother had evidently written months before. But amazingly, I never noticed it before. And on that note, she'd handwritten scripture, and it was Philippians four. Rejoice in the Lord always, I say again rejoice, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. It's amazing the peace and comfort this little handwritten note of scripture has given me. We have this reassurance of peace only because Christ lives, death has been defeated, and this is certainly reason to rejoice. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Jim. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And on the back of your sermon outline, if you don't have your Bible, you can see our text for the sermon this morning. Thank you very much, Jim. Easter does have a way of bringing a focus to our lives, doesn't it? Easter has a way of forcing us to think about what's really important in our lives, doesn't it? Listen to the Scriptures from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain." Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also as one abnormally born. So far, the reading of God's Word. What is important in your life? All over America, in colleges and especially in graduate schools, people who do MBAs, uh, studying management and leadership, all across America, people are taking this little exercise, this little test. came out of Harvard University, and it's called, what it's called, this is the fancy name, it's called a near-term priority exercise, (laughs) which is a fancy way of saying, what's important to you? (laughs) What matters to you? But the reason they do this in universities and in graduate schools is to teach young men and women to actually wake up and pay attention about, to things that are important to them. Because life rushes by, and before you know it, a decade is gone, and then another decade, and you're wondering, how did time fly by so fast? And I never really stopped to think about what is important so here's a little exercise for you let's suppose you're at the end of your life now its 30 years from now some of you forty years from now and you have the opportunity to give some advice to yourself what would you say you would probably say Make sure you spend time on the things that really matter. I think that's pretty good advice, and we all know that. What's important to you? Well, people have their lists, and you can go online. There's lots of these things. People have their lists. What's usually at the top of people's lists? Well, they say, my family is important to me. That's true. And for much of the world, food is is important. Shelter is important. My job is important to me. My looks, my health, my money, my relationships. All good things. All important things. But today we come to a passage in the Bible that discusses what Paul calls matters of First importance. And what's at the top? Paul tells us. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And the Bible often speaks of what's called the gospel of God. And that doesn't mean it's a gospel about God, although it is, but it's a gospel given by God, owned by God, delivered by God, it's God's gospel, and the word gospel, you may know, comes from the Greek word euangelion. It's a compound word, two words put together, eu, which means good, and angelion, from which we get the word angel, or messenger, or message, or news, the word gospel means the good news, and Paul says, this should be at the top of your list of first importance, What is the gospel that's of first importance? And he unpacks this for us in a startling and a clear way. He unpacks it for us. But he begins by saying, first of all, I want to remind you of the gospel I deliver to you. And I think that's very interesting. Before he unpacks it, he just says, look, (laughs) let's be honest. You know, Joan Rivers, can we talk? (laughs) You need to be reminded Of the gospel. Why is that? Well, the answer is because we forget. The answer is that I am so busy with life, and I wake up in the morning, and so do you, and my feet hit the ground running, and I'm moving through the day because I've got places to go, and people to see, and calls to return, and tasks to do, and children to move, and parents to please, and I'm so busy. And then, I get dull. I just get dull. I watch a lot of TV. I listen to a lot of music. And my spiritual heart just gets crusty and cold. And That's why Paul says, I want to remind you, and He does. We we need to be reminded. That's why Jesus gave us the sacrament of communion. Think about it, why He instituted this regular rhythm. Some churches do it weekly. We do it monthly. But there need to be daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, as we gather on the Lord's Day for the preaching of the Word, monthly rhythms as we partake of the Lord's Supper, yearly rhythms, annual rhythms that we remember, the birth and the death and the resurrection of Christ. And, and we have these rhythms to remind us. You need to be reminded, folks, of the gospel. And then he uses three beautiful words. Uh, he says the gospel that you have received and on which you take your stand and um, that you, to which you hold firmly. And it's, he's getting on a roll here. These are really three words saying the same thing, that the gospel is not just the gospel out there, but the gospel is permanent And personal for you. It's permanent out there, but it has to be personal for you. You receive it. John the Apostle, he says, To all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. You take your stand upon it. That is, your life is built on something, the Bible says. What is your life built on? And you cling through the storms. You know, the wind is blowing, the ground is shaking, and you have to hold on to something. What do you hold on to? The gospel is what saves you. You are saved by the gospel, he says. And we know that when the angel spoke to Joseph, do you remember? He spoke to Joseph and he says, what, let me tell you what you're going to name your son. Matthew 1, verse 21. He says, you shall name Him Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. And so you have this receiving, this standing, this holding, this experience of being saved. And it's not peripheral. It is not tangential to your life. Now, let's go back to eighth grade geometry. What is a tangent? Who knows what a tangent is? A tangent is the line that just skims across the outside of the circle. That's what a tangent is. And friends, if we are not careful, that's what the gospel becomes to our lives. It's not personal. It's not in here. It's sort of out there. And occasionally, if somebody makes me go to church or if somebody reminds me of that, it skims across the edge of my life for just a moment. It just touches on it. But you know better, don't you? why do you know better? Why do you know better? Because you know that the gospel may not be a tangent. Jesus will not be a tangent in your life. Some people say, well, okay, he can be a spoke on the wheel. You know, he's one of the spokes on the wheel of my life. Why, this is my job spoke, and this is my marriage spoke, and this is my money spoke, and this is my sexuality spoke, and these are my hobby spokes, and this is my religious spoke, and this is my taste in art and music. But listen, listen carefully. Even that is wrong, right? That's wrong. And that is because the gospel must not be a spoke on the wheel of your life. Or a tangent. The gospel is the hub Jesus Christ is Lord, and that means He wants to be the organizing center of your life. And then what He does is He renews, redeems, refreshes, and heals every one of the spokes on the wheel of your life. He makes you new. And that's why Paul says this is really personal. You receive it, you stand on it, you hold firmly to it, and you are saved by it. And these he calls then This happens by the matters of first importance. And what is of first importance in Christianity? Well, verse 3 tells us. He says, listen to this, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ, so Christ is of first importance, died for our sins according to the Scriptures of first importance, That He was raised on the third day, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared, and He says, and that He appeared, and then He says, and He appeared, appeared, and appeared. This is first importance. This is a day for us to be reminded of what matters most. And there are many, many things... Please, North Shore Community Church, you know we're such a busy church. We are such an active church. There are so many things that are really important in Christianity. Things like caring for the poor. And we need to care for the poor. Sharing our faith with others. And we need to share our faith with others. Raising our children in the Lord. And we need to raise our children in the Lord. Figuring out how to do our job well as unto the Lord and what it means to have a Christian, godly sense of our vocation. So important, so important. But what is of first importance? I thought about this a lot this week and I suddenly realized I don't know if I <laughs> what came over me, but I started thinking about how the great art and music of the past centuries has fixated on the things of first importance that are listed in this scripture. (laughs) And suddenly, I just started thinking about Handel's Messiah. Messiah, the word Christ. See, the first word of first importance is the Christ. The word Christ is simply the Greek for the word Messiah. It means the anointed one. And we are told that Jesus Christ was set apart like kings of old were as they anointed them with oil. They were consecrated as priests were set apart and consecrated. Jesus Christ was set apart as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He was set apart as our great high priest. He's the Messiah. And that's first. think We love to sing, don't we? Every year, the week before Christmas, as a church, we sing the hallelujah chorus. And Handel, George Frederick Handel said as he composed those notes that are scribbled up there, Handel said, I thought I did see heaven opened before me and there was the King of Kings. Of first importance is the Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. He is everything to you. He is everything. He is first, the Christ. And then... I started thinking about paintings that I love. Forgive me, indulge me on this. But these paintings that I love, they come right out of this verse. They come right out of verses 3 and 4 and and 5. But you have um, these Dutch masters, you know, Jan Beckhorst, this beautiful painting that Christ died for our sins. He died for us. And you see how he captures the darkness. It says, The darkness came over the earth as Jesus hung there and died. The darkness is the symbol of the displeasure of God and the judgment of God falling on Christ. He died for our sins. And then he says, He was buried. And this is Rembrandt's great painting, The Descent of Christ from the Cross, as Joseph of Arimathea brings the body down and lays it in. His wealthy tomb. And you have that Christ rose again and this beautiful painting by Rubens who is capturing the Roman soldiers. It says, remember, we read it, they fell back as Christ burst from the tomb. He's capturing the glorious power that He's conquered death and that the tomb cannot hold Him. And then it says He appeared and I love this painting by Caravaggio. We actually have it in our dining room as he appeared, appeared, appeared. And I love this. This, of course, is the story of Thomas. Remember Thomas who doubted? And then Jesus appears, and he says, I've got to put my hand in his side, and I think Caravaggio captures this, doesn't he? See, the other guys make him, Jesus makes him put his finger in, his side, and he says, I am alive. But then he says, blessed are you because you have seen and believed, but blessed are they who have not seen and have not believed. But the testimony is that Christ appeared. This was not a hallucination. This was not mythology. This is not imagination. These are the things of first importance, and you just think about them with me. Think about this now. He is the Christ, the Messiah the long-awaited King of kings. And there is no other name, the Bible says, under heaven, no other name as excellent as the name of Jesus. Then Paul says, He died for our sins. And if you were with us on Good Friday, it was a powerful time, wasn't it? We focused on Galatians 10, uh, 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 3, verse 13, which says that Jesus Christ Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Our Christ was an accursed Christ because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree and Christ hung on the cross for our sins. Why did He die on the cross? We are told. We are told that it is appointed for a man once to die and then to face judgment, Hebrews 9, 27. A scary verse, right? Scary verse. It is appointed for every one of us to die and then face judgment. So let's read the next verse, Hebrews 9, verse 28. Listen carefully. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. What is of first importance? What we call the atonement. Do you know the word? you know the word the atonement? It means the payment, the fancy word, the propitiation, the satisfaction of God for our sins by Christ. That's of first importance. And let me suggest when it is of first importance, this, this, this atonement. It's of first importance when you stand in front of a holy God. Because when you stand in front of a holy God who is holy, 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 <laughs> you really want to know that your sins are forgiven. You really do. And suddenly, cross is precious. As we came forward Friday night to pin our sins, the other side of those medallions is bright scarlet, is bright red, symbolizing our sin. But we pinned it to the cross. We acknowledged our sin fell on Christ and His beautiful righteousness is applied, we say imputed, reckoned to our account for us. He became a curse, it says, for us. Listen. Without the atonement, there is no gospel. Without the Christ, there is no gospel. And now, without the resurrection, he said, the third thing. There is no resurrection. Oh, by the way, he was buried. Why does he say he, that it was important to underscore that he was really that he was buried? I'll tell you why. Because he really did die. Some people say, well, you know, he was God. He never really died. Or other people say it was just a myth. And Paul says, oh no. Oh no, he really did die in fulfillment of the Scriptures. And um, I'm not sure why Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came out of the shadows to take the bloody body of Jesus down from the cross. And maybe they were just saying, We loved him. We loved him, and we can't see his body being thrown into the trash dump. I don't know why they did it, but I do know that the secret providence of God was then fulfilling Isaiah 53, verse 9, which says that they wanted his body to be among the evildoers, but his grave was among the wealthy. And the very body of Jesus is carried tenderly to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea fulfilling the messianic prophecy. We are told Christ died for our sins. Isaiah 53, it tells us the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. But Isaiah 53 also tells us He was buried among the rich. God had His plan for our salvation. And then He rose from the dead the resurrection. And friends, there is no gospel without the resurrection. There isn't. You know, in the past couple of centuries, there have been scholars, scholars who uh, have been teaching in seminaries, Catholic and Protestant seminaries, And they have been products of Western European enlightenment thinking that said, you know, we're modern people and we just know better. Dead men don't rise. And so you had, even here in New York City in the last century, a man like Paul Tillich, a highly acclaimed theologian, and he would say things like this. He would say, you know, it it doesn't matter whether or not Jesus really rose from the dead. What matters is that you have a resurrection event in your heart. And Paul himself is appalled by that thought as he says, just a few verses later, if Christ is not raised from the dead, we are to be pitied among all men because we believed a lie. Be alert, be awake, be aware. There's all kinds of false ideas out there about religion and spirituality and they say you just need a resurrection event in your heart and be nice. Paul says, no, of first importance, Christ rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. And you come to Psalm 16, verse 10, it says, You will not abandon me to the grave, nor let your Holy One see decay. Isaiah 53, verse 10, it says, After the suffering of his soul, this is the... The prophesied Messiah will suffer. the sins. Our sins are laid upon Him. It says, after the suffering of His soul, He will see the light of life. And so He did. And so He does. He is alive. Without the Christ, there is no gospel. Without the atonement, there is no gospel. Without the death and burial of Jesus, there is no gospel. Without the resurrection of Christ, there is no gospel. And without the certainty that He is alive and that He appeared, not once. You know why Jesus didn't just appear once to the women who are outside the tomb? Because the Bible says in Deuteronomy 19, in the Old Testament law, that a matter must be established by more than two witnesses. Two or three witnesses, at least. And so, is it any surprise at all that the church of Jesus Christ is built upon the testimony of not one, not two, but dozens and dozens of eyewitnesses, Paul says. They saw. You can go ask them. And some of them wrote books about it. Matthew wrote about it, and Mark wrote about it, and Luke wrote about it, and John wrote about it. this is of first importance in your life now apply it and ask yourself let's let's do the near term priority exercise what's of first importance to you is it the gospel you will answer this question by paying attention to the deep yearnings of your heart. What do you long for? The deepest longings of your heart. The perfect family. Enough money to retire. A godly husband who cares for you. A loving wife who respects you. the praise and adoration of the crowd. What is the deepest yearning of your heart? I tell you, as you stand before God, oh, the deepest yearning of any heart is to know Him and to be forgiven by Him, to be welcomed and adopted by Him, and to live, to live eternally with eternal life here, beginning here and now. Oh, my friends, inside your bulletin, I have this quote. And I put mine down somewhere. So, Michael, I'm going to steal yours here. It says, Let every man and woman count themselves immortal. Let them catch the revelation of Jesus in His resurrection. Let each say, not merely, Christ is risen, but I shall rise. Oh, that's the deepest longing of your heart. For your greatest enemy is not bankruptcy or insolvency or disobedient children or parents who are too hard on you. Your greatest threat is death. The Bible calls the last enemy, the great enemy. Your greatest enemy is death. My studies this week, I came across a survey of one of the nations over in Europe. And I won't won't identify which nation it was. It probably could have been any of the nations, but I don't want to insult my Irish friends. But there was a survey recently done there and what they did is they they surveyed people about what was important to them and out of 119 categories religion came in last isn't that interesting sports money family education car home it's not just ireland that's not just Ireland. That's Long Island. What's of first important to us, importance to us today? I want you to. I want to invite you to tell the Lord Jesus that He is at the top of your list. Today's the day that you've been reminded. Not because I'm eloquent. I just lisp through a message like this. I don't have any power to persuade you. But the Holy Spirit is here. And the Holy Spirit would call every one of us today, today, to profess our faith in Jesus. See, there's a throne in your soul. There's a throne in your soul. It's called the heart. And what we must do is dethrone ourselves and enthrone Him. And we do that by receiving, right? The gospel you received. By holding firmly to the gospel. By taking your stand upon the gospel. Today's the day for you to do that. And I don't care if you've come to church for decades. You've just been coming every Sunday, every Sunday, after every Sunday. Today... Be reminded. Tell him he's first. And maybe you're somebody's guest today, and that thrills us. If you're our guest today, we are so pleased. And this is the first time you ever heard this message. I don't care. This is the day for you to profess your faith in Christ, to receive Christ, and to acknowledge Him as the one who lived, who died, who rose again on high and open the way for you to live again. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so grateful for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we humble ourselves before you, and I confess, Lord, that I often forget I'm often cold, but today... By the power of Your Word, in the power of Your Spirit, You have claimed Your rightful place on the throne of my heart. And I tell You, Lord, I want You to be the hub of the wheel of my life. I receive You, Jesus. Can You say that today? I receive You, Jesus, and upon You, as I face the challenges of life, I will take my stand and I will hold firmly to you all the days of my life. Even to that day when I breathe my last, I will cling to you and I know you will receive me safely to the other side and there I will stand clean before you because of your blood shed, the atoning blood shed for me. Oh, I praise you, I thank you, I worship you this day. You have reminded me of what is first imp- of first importance. And I am glad. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.